and Hobbes comic strip ref reflects the selfishness of human nature when it comes to making resolutions. The uh, tiger is talking to the precocious boy, Hobbes, and asks him, are you making any resolutions for the new year? And Calvin says, yeah, I'm resolving to just wing it and see what happens. So you're staying the course. And Calvin says, as they're walking through the snow, I stick with my strengths. <laughs> so Calvin is just going to wing it for the year. What about you? Is that the way you approach the year? Just going to wing it. We all need to set goals, of course. We have goals that we set during the days of unleavened bread, various times of the year. But are we like Calvin who just wants to wing it? Are we dedicated to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ year-round? Calvin doesn't think it's necessary to change and develop. Another comic strip, Calvin and uh, Hobbes are walking in the snow, and Calvin uh, is asked by the tiger Hobbes. Hobbes says, did you make any resolutions for the new year? And Calvin says, Heck no. I'm fine just the way I am. Why should I change? In fact, he gets a little uh, boisterous here. He says, in fact, I think it's high time the world started changing to suit me. I don't see why I should do all the changing around here. If the new year requires resolutions, I say it's up to everyone else, not me. I don't need to improve. Everyone else does. How about you, Hobbes? Did you make any resolutions? And Hobbes says, with his eyes rolling, well, I had resolved to be less offended to human nature, but I think I blew it already. <laughs> well, Calvin really exemplifies human nature. But God wants us to be conformed, of course, to the very image of Jesus Christ. And Genuine Christians are on a life-changing mission continually. We have a great goal to achieve through the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And that is, of course, to seek what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6, verse 33. And I would tell my congregations that I pastored over the years, if you want to know one scripture, you need to know that scripture. That's your life goal. And we strive to accomplish that goal, of course, not just on New Year's Day, but continually throughout the year. At this time of year, news analysts and sports writers and science reporters review the highlights and lowlights of the previous year. And they'll make predictions for the coming year. What news events of 2015 made an impression on you? What do you remember from 2015? Well, we'll discuss some of the trends in prophecy coming up. We learn the lessons from the past, and yet we are to be alert to the prophecies of the future. In 2015, as we heard in the announcements, the world experienced terrorism, including Paris, France, and San Bernardino, California. Weather disasters included recent flooding in St. Louis, and also severe drought in California in 2015. And also, the world continued its indulgence in social depravity in 2015. 
Dr. Meredith described it in his recent sermon on Beware Satan's Alternate Universe. And Mr. Rod McNair also encouraged us in his recent sermon, Do You Need a Breakthrough, a Spiritual Breakthrough? So brethren, if we're not careful, all the bad news that we hear can harden us, it can endure us. But as God's watchmen, we must be alert and not ignore the prophetic trends occurring around the world. Let's turn to Matthew, the 16th chapter. Are you discerning the signs of the times? Matthew, the 16th chapter, and starting in verse 1. Matthew 16. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. What signs should they have discerned? The fact that the Messiah, the prophesied Messiah, was right there in their midst. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign, and no sign shall be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. So as the world makes its usual January resolutions, only to be broken within a few months, days, or hours, God tells us that we must watch and pray. We've read that so many times Let's read it again in Luke, the 24th chapter, Luke 24. This is a calendar year, but again, we don't uh, start our sacred year on January 1st. We follow God's calendar, but nonetheless, there is a review of major prophetic events and world events that happened in the past year. Luke 24, Christ gives us this warning and exhortation. Luke 24, starting with verse 34. I'm sorry, Luke 21, of course. Sorry about that. Luke 21 and verse 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. Take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And there are many cares in this life. That's why God's people have a routine, or should have a routine, of getting up in the morning and praying, and reading their Bible for at least a few minutes. Because you have a perspective, and you're not weighed down by the cares of the world, because you're renewing the big picture in your life. And you're not weighed down by the cares of this world. We know that we have cares in this world. We have to face up to them with God's help, find solutions to our problems, and do the best we can. And that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Our greatest goal is to stand before the Son of Man. And we may have to go through great trials and tests. We may have to even die. Some of us may be even beheaded 
You read Revelation, the 20th chapter. It talks about those who were beheaded, but they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So again, we must be watching and praying always. And that's the title of the sermon today, Watch and Pray Always, just as Jesus admonished us. So what will happen in 2016? What prophetic events and trends should we be watching? And will we survive another year financially? Will we survive another year spiritually? We need to know not only how to survive, but to progress, produce, and persevere. So will you always watch and pray in 2016? In today's sermon, we'll understand our collective and individual responsibility as watchmen. We'll also consider strategies of preparation for the tough times ahead. And we'll also consider prophetic trends we need to be watching. So let's first take a sampling of 2015 and some of its significant events. As I read through these events of this last year, uh, I had certain reactions. What would your reaction be, and what has it been? Think of the reaction now as you hear just a sampling of these 2015 events. Did any time in 2015 it affect you to the point that you sighed and cried for the abominations that were committed. That's Ezekiel 9, verse 4. God is going to protect all those who sigh and cry for the abominations. This is a listing, a sampling of some of the major events in 2015 from World Magazine, News of the Year 2015. Uh, this is uh, their January 9, 2016 edition. It comes from their calendar of events. This is a sampling. I only uh, took out about 15 of them. January 1st, 2015. Vietnam legalizes same-sex marriage. February 16th. ISIS releases a video showing the beheading of 21 professing Christians, one from Ghana and 20 from Egypt, kidnapped in Libya. May 9th, 2015. Liberia marks the end of an Ebola epidemic that claimed the lives of more than 4,700 citizens. More cases reemerge in following months. May 13th, the USDA reports that over the past year, more than 40% of honeybee colonies have died in the U.S. part of the web of life being affected. June 12th, amid a worsening drought, California lawmakers tell farmers to reduce their water consumption, the biggest cuts in the state's history. June 17th, Dylan Roof, age 21, sits for an hour in a Bible study before opening fire, killing nine persons at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. June 29th, the United States Supreme Court votes five to four to force states to redefine marriage and recognize same-sex marriages. Abominable. August 22nd, responding to undercover videos showing Planned Parenthood engaged in sale of baby body parts, 80,000 protesters at 354 Planned Parent locations call on Congress to strip taxpayer funding from the abortion giant. October 10th, 
Two bombs explode outside Ankara's main railroad station in Turkey, killing more than 100 persons. November 13th, in coordinated attacks across Paris, teams of Islamic terrorists linked to ISIS kill at least 129 persons and injure scores more. December 14th, oil prices continue to fall, dropping below $35 per barrel. So what were your responses to any of these events? We need to face the realities of our age. We're living in the prophesied end times. Now, these events should sober us, and they should help us to stay awake spiritually. So what is going to happen in 2016? This is the uh, Wall Street Journal magazine, December 2015, called The Future of Everything. So you want to know what's going to happen, you need to read this magazine by the Wall Street Journal, The Future of Everything. I'll just give you a sampling of their topics. The end of your personal car. Catch the perfect man-made wave, America's changing battlefields, and how smart should watches be. So that's from the future of everything, Wall Street Journal. A look ahead from the Wall Street Journal. This is popular science, Big Ideas 2016. Everything you need to know for the year ahead. So you need this magazine, everything you need to know about the year ahead. Exclusive, the last fighter pilot, air war, the F-35, and the inevitable rise of drones. So the pilot's not going to fly anymore, drones will. Seven amazing, slightly insane projects. So I won't share those with you, but if you want to know everything that's going on. The New York Times Magazine, November 15, 2015 has a wheel, more or less a gambling wheel, of what does the future hold for 2015, making sense of what we cannot know. And it's like a, a gambling wheel. You spin the wheel, and it says, the future is. And it gives all these various descriptors. And we're just guessing. We spin the wheel. And what is the future going to give us? Mysterious? Utopian? Doomed, uh, synthetic, automated, glorious, crowded, peaceful, optimistic, unequal, bankrupt, or violent. So anyway, the world's just saying it's it's a guess. We don't know exactly what's going to happen in the world, but God, of course, gives us a full, clear picture of what is going to happen in the future. We all hope that mankind would bring about peace in this age, but mankind cannot bring about peace in this age. So we look to peace in the age to come. We're training as kings and priests for the age to come. We're thankful for God's continuous blessings and guidance. When we think back this past year, we think also about the blessings God gave his church. Think of your personal life this past year. What were some of the highlights and lowlights of your personal life? We're all very thankful as we look back on the Feast of Tabernacles this past year, how God blessed it around the world. All of us who attended the feast rejoiced, and now we're looking forward to the new year in God's work. And of course,
course, this is the January-February Living Church News. It has the reports of all the Feast of Tabernacles, sites around the world, photos. I'm sure that you'll enjoy watching. There were 51 feast sites in 31 countries around the world. Also, one of the milestones for God's work last year, Tomorrow's World Magazine reached over 500,000 subscribers. Well, that was a goal Dr. Meredith had set for many years, and we're very thankful for having reached that milestone. In fact, he wrote the semi-annual letter to 520,000 subscribers around the world. Of course, not all of them are in the United States, but we're very thankful for the response that we've gotten, even from that semi-annual letter. Uh, so far, to date, we've received 33,000 responses here from our United States subscribers. We also offered on his TV presentation on live, online, live presentation November 2015, titled, A Prophetic Warning to the World. And that uh, will be made into a CD or DVD, and that will be part of the semi-annual offer, as well as the two booklets that he offered, the uh, Restoring Original Christianity and Where is God's Church Today. So we need to pray for God's work in 2016. We already have planned for at least three Tomorrow's World presentations in March. Uh, March 5th in Atlanta, Georgia. My wife and I will be down there for that uh, presentation. Uh, March 5th also in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And on uh, March 6th, Greenville, South Carolina. So we're very thankful for those plans for 2016. We've reviewed a sampling of news events, and I said these news events should sober us. We'll turn to Matthew, the 25th chapter. We realize that, yes, we need to be and remain spiritually awake. And the parable of the ten virgins is an object lesson for all of us, one that we need to remember and apply in our own lives. It's the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Well, there are many in the world who profess to be Christian. They can, may consider themselves symbolically as a potential wife of Christ. But those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil in them, verse 3. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. We know from other scriptures that oil can be a symbol of God's Holy Spirit. And they had not, that is the foolish, had not had the oil in their lamps. They had not been renewing God's Spirit if they ever had it in the first place. At midnight, and at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. You look back in the church history, and I believe Mr. Herbert Armstrong was one who gave that cry. It got my attention that the bridegroom is coming. Because I didn't know that, having grown up in a Protestant church, I never had the emphasis preached to me about the second coming of Christ. It was news to me. It was good news to me. The bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. 
we go out to meet him, we need to be prepared to meet him and to meet him with confidence and with faith. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. I hope, brethren, that all of us are those who are ready and go with him into the wedding. And the door was shut. The lesson here, of course, is for us to stay awake spiritually, to be filled with Holy, the Holy Spirit, and let our lamps shine. Make sure that we have God's Holy Spirit, and we're renewing, we're active in renewing God's Holy Spirit. Tomorrow's World Magazine that is the December, November, December issue, had the feature article, Are You Ready for Christ's Return? I hope you've all read the November, December issue because the January, February issues now in most of your homes, I presume. But are you staying awake spiritually? And are you discerning the signs of the times? How do we do that? How do you have oil in your lamps? Let's turn to Hebrews, uh, the third chapter, Hebrews 3. Now, you know all these things, brethren, but as Hebrews 3, verse 13 brings out, we need to help one another. We need to exhort one another. Hebrews 3, verse 13. Well, we might start with verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Today is our day of salvation. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. When we practice sin, we deceive ourselves. We need to repent if any of you are practicing any sin. We all sin from time to time. But we should not be practicing sin. If anyone here is practicing sin, he or she needs to repent and quit sinning. Of course, God says in Numbers 32:23, "Is that your sins will find you out?" So we need to make sure that we repent of our sins and have that attitude always. So even though you know these things, brethren, I'm exhorting you. We need to exhort one another while it is called today. And the first exhortation is to pray always. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. I won't turn there, but it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Romans 12, verse 12. Continuing instant in prayer. The New King James says, Continuing steadfastly in prayer. So are you instant in prayer? You know, before we would have meetings with uh, Mr. Armstrong or uh, any of the leaders in the church, the, the common expression, well, it wasn't a common expression, but it was an expression, are you prayed up? <laughs> in other words, before you would see Mr. Armstrong, you may better make sure you're prayed up. That you are ready, that you are alert spiritually and have a good attitude for your counseling with him. If 
But how many times a day do you pray? Can you pray instantaneously? I know you pray when you're closing in on a, a close to an accident and you say, help! Well, that's very instant when you're close to heaven. And I've done that. Ask God to help me and protect me, and he has. So we want to make sure we pray always. Matthew, the 26th chapter, Matthew 26, is an example of some whom Jesus told to pray and didn't. Matthew, the 26th chapter, of course, this is the night in Gethsemane when he was praying before his captivity and beatings and crucifixion. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, who would be James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Watch. That just means to be alert, to be sober. Watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He had told them to watch. Now he comes back, verse 40. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Now we ought to take a message from that. We ought to take warning from that, instruction from that. Could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 41, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we have an instruction to always watch and pray, so we do not enter into temptation. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O oh, Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. You know, sometimes I say the same words in my prayer, and I wonder, well, Jesus said not to give vain repetitions. Is it all right to say the same words? He did, the third time. But very meaningful and heartfelt. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He prepared for that traumatic event by praying. And he said, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. How are we going to keep oil in our lamps? Pray always. Secondly, again, you know all of these principles. Read your Bible daily. Turn to Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter. Read your Bible daily. Some of you have admitted to me that you don't read your Bible daily, but you have started to do so now. I'm very thankful for that, because we are in training as kings and priests, and those who were training as kings and priests were instructed here in Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, Let's start in 
verse 18. And it shall be when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests and the Levites. We had a sermonette uh, back in Sunset Beach and one of the fee sites for a challenge for our brethren to write out the whole book of Deuteronomy, the whole book of the law. Some did that manually from one of the priests and the Levites. And it shall be with him, and notice this, verse 19, he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the eternal his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So, brethren, we need to read God's Bible, His Word, daily. Thirdly, and you know it again, we must meditate on God's Word and the creation. Let's turn to Psalm 19, verse 14. Psalm 19. Of course, we always have the opportunity to meditate on the creation if we take time to smell the roses. Take a walk in the park, take a look at the full moon or the new moon. Psalm 19 and uh, verse 14. Got a couple sermons on this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O eternal, my strength and my redeemer, both your words and your thoughts are so very important to God. We have uh, sermon number 835, The Meditation of My Heart, based on this, this scripture. I won't turn there, but Psalm 119.97, we know that because we sing it in our hymn book, Oh, how I love your law, David said, it is my meditation all the day. So do you read from the book of the law and of course, the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount, magnifies the law as well. Psalm 119.97, Oh, how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. And you know Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the ungodly, or the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And what's the fourth after prayer, Bible study, meditation, fasting? I won't ask you to raise your hands because I know it's one of those difficult things, and that's to fast regularly. Turn to Matthew, the ninth chapter. Matthew 9, we have several sermons on fasting. Sermon number 577, Fasting and Repentance. Sermon number 625, We Are Family, which was Dr. Meredith's sermon during the fast day of 2011. And then sermon number 628, Lessons from Fasting, which was a must-play. And sermon number 748, Fasting and Humility. Matthew 9 and verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, 
Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Uh, Mr. Gerald Weston gave an excellent sermon on old wineskins and new wineskins. What is the lesson of that? Well, you can repent all you want, but if you are not really earnest, sincere, and wanting to change, the fasting doesn't do any good. So you need to make sure that you're putting new wine into new wineskins, that there is a fundamental change and a fundamental purpose for your fasting. Of course, I remember my first study, Bible study, on the subject of fasting was about King Ahab, the most wicked king of Israel. And, you know, Elijah came to him and God says, See how Ahab humbles himself? I will not bring the evil upon him in his days. So that was a lesson to me that even the most evil king fasted and humbled himself and God had mercy and patience on King Ahab. But when was the last time you had a full 24-hour fast? Now I fast maybe sometimes 12 hours a night because I'm trying to lose weight. And I can go a whole week, maybe fasting from 7 o'clock at night till 7 in the morning. Uh, the Muslims fast uh, during the daylight hours, during Ramadan. And that can be anywhere from, depending on, as it was this summer, upwards of 15 to 18 hours, or even longer. If they're up in the uh, northern climes, up in about 20 hours a day. But when was the last time you fasted for a full 24 hours? You know, Jesus said, my disciples will fast. We need to humble ourselves to get closer to God, make sure that we are spiritually awake, that we are watching and praying always. Those are vital actions, prayer, fasting, Bible study, and meditation. You know them, but we're just exhorting one another as it's called today. We have a responsibility as the watchmen, and we're going to review that briefly what chapter is that in the Bible? How many of you know where to find the Watchman chapter in the Bible? Let me see your hands. Okay, good. That's about uh, 63% of you. Good. Well, okay, the other 37% are now going to know that it's Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33. In fact, um, the King James uh, Bible has it, the Watchman and his message. Ezekiel 33, verse 1. Again, the word of the Eternal came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people, and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory, and make him their watchman. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people. We heard in the opening prayer that we have a mission to witness and warn. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, that he blows the trumpet and warns the people. Then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, 
If the sword comes and takes him away, the blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. We have a very significant and vital responsibility and mission to fulfill that mission. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person away from them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them from me. So, again, I've exhorted you time and time again. Are you listening to the trumpet? Are you listening to the gospel being preached through the media that God has opened up for us, including the television, the Internet, the publications? And again, I won't ask you how many of you have seen all the telecasts, but I hope you're watching Tomorrow's World Telecast, that you have the Tomorrow's World app for your Android and, uh, or your iPhone. And I think the last time I took a survey, we had 60% of you had Tomorrow's World app. How many of you had Tomorrow's World app on your phones? So, oh, good. It looks, oh, it's a slight improvement up from 60% to 70%. Very good. So I hope most of you will, uh, you don't have that. If you don't have an iPhone, obviously you're not going to do that. Um, but nonetheless, I hope that you're watching the telecast regularly. And of course, you're reading the magazines regularly, and you're taking a part of the watchman's responsibility. In the May-June 2011 Living Church News, in his article titled, Cry Out for the Gifts of the Spirit, Dr. Meredith mentioned this with regard to the watchman. Quote, For we in the Living Church of God are called to perform a truly powerful work before the great tribulation and before Christ's return. If we do not truly warn our peoples of what lies ahead, then who will? Let us regularly focus on Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 7. For as Herbert W. Armstrong explained, this is our collective responsibility as the true church of God. This is our collective responsibility as the true church of God. End of quote. So in summarizing what we've covered so far, much of today's society is hedonistic. I just looked up the word. It means engaged in the pursuit of pleasure, sensually self-indulgent. That's what hedonistic is. God wants us as people to be concerned for the state of the world and the need for his kingdom to come. So we have two options. One is to watch what's going on in the world and be concerned about what's going on in the world or hide from them, indulge in escapism, or we can have compassion. Do you ever pray for those who are in need around the world? You say, well, my prayer doesn't make a difference. What about the thousands of refugees and migrants some with little children. And what are they doing? They're just carrying them on their backs. They're walking in tens of miles, hundreds of miles. Do you ever pray for them? You know, I, I prayed one time many years ago. You may have heard me tell that story about the two 
men in a mini submarine were laying a transatlantic cable under the Atlantic Ocean. They were off the coast of Ireland. And the cable that supported the mini submarine broke, and the mini sub fell down to the bottom of the ocean, about 1,500 feet under the ocean. The news went out that this was, you know, these men were trapped. I started praying for them. And what they had to do, they had a mothership. They sent another mini-sub over from the United States, flew it over to the mothership. Then they had to have some kind of grappling hooks. They first of all had to locate where that mini-sub was at the bottom of the ocean. And the two men in there only had 48 hours of oxygen, and they were running out of oxygen. Finally, they got the grappling hooks, were able to bring it up to the surface. And just as they brought up the surface, one of the cables broke, but they were able to catch onto it. And these men were rescued from the bottom of the ocean. Now I think my prayer made a difference. I'm sure others were praying for them as well. Of course, then there were the, well, the men in Chile, the miners, who were down there for how many, 30, 40 days or so. And I'm sure many around the world were praying for them, and all of them were rescued. When we watch world news, we need to connect with the needs of those people, realizing there is a need for the kingdom of God to come. And how often do you pray, your kingdom come? I've never tracked it. I don't count it. I think I, I know some days I may pray that three or four times or more. Other days I may miss one day, but I don't think so. I think most days I'm praying your kingdom come, at least once, in reaction to what's going on in the world, because we're the watchmen in the world, we have to take a responsibility towards that. We cry and sigh for the abominations that are committed. So what prophetic trends should be we should be watching for twenty fifteen? What sort of resources do we have available for identifying prophetic trends? Well, of course, we know Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. You know, that's, those three chapters are the famous Olivet Prophecy of Christ. You know those. And you know Revelation 6 that explains or presents the four horsemen that are actually interpreted by the Olivet Prophecy. And Jesus explains the religious deceptions, the wars, and the famines and the pestilence to follow. The book of Revelation outlines the sequence of end time events. I remember one time in uh, the Worldwide Church of God, an employed minister was criticizing headquarters where I was stationed at the time, wondering what is it we taught about prophecy? So it was a refresher program. So I got all the publications we had on prophecy, a listing of all our World Tomorrow telecasts on prophecy, and I saying to myself, where's this person been? He's been asleep. He doesn't even know what the church is teaching in terms of prophecy. And I hope we don't have anyone here like that that is asleep and knowing that, of course, our booklets, the Middle Eastern prophecy, the United States and Great Britain in prophecy, the Beast of Revelation, 
Myth, metaphor, or soon coming reality, 14 signs announcing Christ's return, Armageddon and beyond, prophecy fulfilled, God's hand in world affairs, the world ahead, what will it be like? Those are just some of the booklets. And then we have the regular Tomorrow's World articles, and we have the webcasts that are coming up. Uh, the latest Tomorrow's World magazine, which, uh, oh yes, here it is, on uh, Superbugs, uh, Mr. John Meekin's uh, article, a feature article on feature, uh, Superbugs. And even as I mentioned, which seemed to be a victory over Ebola back in 2015, yet it's still coming back. So we need to be watching and praying. Here are these resources that are available to you. And of course, I hope, how many of you have, of course, you may have just gotten the magazine and not had an opportunity to read, but uh, Dr. Meredith's feature article that is titled, Play God or Obey God? The Supreme Court Rules Against God. How many of you have gotten to read that yet? Okay, only a handful of you, so you haven't really gotten your issue yet. But really, make sure you read that, that particular article. And then, of course, our telecast on, on prophecy. Uh, this week's telecast, The End of the World, question mark. What are some of the trends we should watch? Of course, you, there are many, many different trends, but we'll just give a sampling of them. Number one is record weather upset. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 28, verse 23. Deuteronomy 28, verse 23. Now, some, some of us, we here in Charlotte, been blessed this past year. We have, uh, for 2015, we had four, four and a half or five inches over the normal precipitation for 2015. I believe we had 40, 45 inches of rain uh, in 2015. We normally get about 40. But with God blessed us in this area. But yet there are other places that are flooding, other places that are in extreme drought. Here in Deuteronomy 28, verse 23, God warns us, and of course the descendants of Israel, and your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze for your disobedience and because of your iniquities. And the earth which is under you shall be iron. The eternal shall change the rain of your land of powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. So that's one aspect of God's punishments upon the nations. How many of you are familiar with the U.S. Drought Monitor map on the internet? See your hands. Okay, good. Quite a, about 30% of you. Anyway, it's a very striking map because it not only shows you drought or dry, but it goes on to severe drought and goes on to exceptional drought. And so if you check that uh, U.S. Drought Monitor map, uh, it affects California with 36.6 million people. And as of December 29th, 2015, 87.5% of California, 87.5% was under severe drought. Exceptional drought was 44.8%. Now, the severe drought actually has dropped back from 94%, but the exceptional drought increased from 31% up to 44.8%.
And I was surprised looking at the uh, drought monitor map that Oregon was affected as well. Uh, Oregon is experiencing 65.3% severe drought, but that's down from 100% uh, from three months ago. Turn to Amos, the fourth chapter. Amos 4, again, you're familiar with raining in one place and dry in another. Amos 4, verse 7. Of course, just taking a look at the newspapers today, uh, see the flooding around the Missouri River and the Mississippi River around St. Louis, and seeing homes, hundreds of homes, Surrounded by water, and uh, you wouldn't want that for your home. Uh, I, I know when we moved into uh, Mint Hill here in North Carolina, I said, "Ask the uh, real estate agent where is the flood plain here? How, how high does the flood waters come up?" Thankfully, uh, hasn't affected us. And I don't think it will. Amos four and verse seven. Amos four verse seven. I also withheld rain from you when there was still three months to the harvest. Uh, one of the articles in the newspaper was saying that the farmers in California, of course, had restricted water for their farming. Now they're trying to use political pressure to get more amounts of water. I withheld rain from you when there were three months to the harvest. I made it rain on one city. I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon. And where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wander to another city to drink water. And how many of you have a week's supply? I won't ask you to raise your hand this time. A week's supply of water in your home? To drink water, but they were not satisfied, yet you have not returned to me, says the Eternal. Well, South Carolina had tremendous flooding that the interstates, uh, I think it was like 50 miles of interstate was cut off. And even more recently in Oregon, uh, I believe it is Oregon. Many of the interstates were cut off. So that flooding affects not just the homes, but affects the transportation system of the country. So watch record weather upset. As God is going to take that kind of punishment. Mr. Gerald Weston in his UK office update of, uh, from yesterday wrote the following. This last month has been difficult for many here in the British Isles. One storm after another has battered Ireland, North England, and Southern Scotland. Some families and business have literally been flooded out of their homes two or three times. The physical damage was done the first time, but the emotional damage must intensify with subsequent flooding as the agony has drawn out. Meanwhile, there is also significant flooding in South America, Australia, and the United States. And the photo in the Charlotte Observer today just showed Missouri residents pick up the pieces after floods. Another trend in addition to upset weather is terrorism. We've already heard that in the announcements. We heard, of course, in 2015, the terrorism attacks in Paris, France, and San Bernardino, California, and many other locations around the world. Leviticus 26.16. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it. I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you. Wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. Leviticus 26, verse 16. Uh, Mr. Weston also writes in the UK update, office update from yesterday, quote, Belgium is going through a very difficult kind of trial 
as explained in this Daily Mail headline. Brussels cancels its annual New Year's Eve celebrations attended by 100,000 people as the city remains on high alert over a Paris-style terror attack. So Belgium, he writes, is believed to, by some authorities, be the location in which the Paris terrorist attacks were planned and coordinated, and it remains a hotbed of radical Islam. In the Middle East, the war factions continue killing and destroying. And even in today's Charlotte Observer, uh, one of the headlines was, Threat Closes Train Stations in Munich, Germany. And homicides in Charlotte rise to a six-year high, another headline in today's Charlotte Observer. So number two is terrorism. Number three is social depravity. Let's turn to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. 2 Timothy, the third chapter. Second Timothy 3 and verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. You know, just like, like uh, Hobbes and Calvin. Calvin was a lover of himself. For men shall be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. The Defense of Marriage Act, or DOMA, was United States federal law until June 26, 2013, when the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the law as unconstitutional. The decision was five to four. Chief Justice John Roberts gave the dissenting opinion, quote, interest in uniformity and stability amply justified Congress's decision to retain the definition of marriage that at that point had been adopted by every state in our nation and every nation in the world. The majority sees a more sinister motive, end of quote. So the world is going upside down. It's calling righteousness evil, calling evil righteousness. And so Dr. Meredith writes in the article I referred you to in the January, February, tomorrow's world, play God or obey God, he writes, the Supreme Court rules against God in America. Quote, our political and even judicial leaders often look for guidance, quote, end of quote, about big problems almost everywhere except consulting the Holy Bible, the inspired word of God. Yet we claim to be a Christian nation. In quotes, we have on our coins and bills and God we trust. Sadly, instead of obeying God, Rebellious human beings seem even more intent on playing God, taking upon themselves the judgment of what is right and what is wrong. End of quote. And what segment of society is encouraging social depravity? Turn to Jeremiah, the fifth chapter. 
Jeremiah 5. I'll just, uh, before I read the scripture, just read uh, the Atlantic Magazine, uh, April 28, 2015. It's quote, Religious Americans support gay marriage. Most of the recent growth in public support for same-sex union has come from within denominations that once opposed them, end of quote. So that's from Atlantic Magazine, April 28, 2015. Today, there are religious groups on both sides of the same-sex marriage debate. Public Religion Research Institute's American Values Atlas, based on 40,000 interviews, shows some striking realignments over the last decade. A number of major religious groups have joined the unaffiliated in supporting same-sex marriage. In addition to the more than three-quarters of the religiously unaffiliated who support same-sex marriage, 84% of Buddhists, 77% of Jews, approximately 6 in 10 white mainline Protestants, 62%, white Catholic, 61%, and Hispanic Catholic, 60%, and 56% of Eastern Orthodox Christians now support allowing gay and lesbian couples to marry legally, end of quote. The religious sector of our society is supporting these abominations. Jeremiah 5 and verse 30. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? You know, religions are just like a, a marketplace. You know, you go to the market and you shop for what you want. You want to shop for a... Uh, a, an animated uh, modern music uh, church, then you can join that. If you want to join a church to support same-sex marriage, you join that. Satan has out his whole marketplace of religions for people to choose. But we have to stand up for the truth, as Dr. Meredith was explaining in his sermon last Sabbath on uh, We Are Christian Soldiers, was the title of the sermon. You know, one of those abominations was uh, mentioned here in the uh, Charlotte Observer, December 27th. A look back, 2015, the year in fashion. Gender nonconformity went from reality to runway. The divide between menswear and womenswear is seeming ever more pointless as labels like, and I won't mention the labels of those clothing companies, as uh, mixed boys and girls on the runway and in wardrobe. Fashion reflects society after all, and we are in a gender non-conformist age. Why shouldn't all consumers be able to dress the part? And this is no fact. Pantone's color of 2016 is a duo rose quartz and serenity, where pink fades into blue and vice versa. We are facing social depravity. Let's turn to Romans, the first chapter, verse 20. I think we've read this uh, in recent sermons, but it's so applicable when we take a look at prophetic trends, and particularly the trend of social depravity. Romans 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, 
being invisible, that is, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify in God as God, nor were thankful. They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in their lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So the world is going down, and we have to witness to that world and stand up for the truth. Another trend, in addition to societal deprivation and degradation, is economic deterioration. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 28 again. Economic deterioration. Now, God blessed the United States, Great Britain, the Commonwealth for economically for many, many years because of the faith of Abraham. But now the United States has turned its back on God and is going to be paying a penalty in many ways, as we've already seen, not only in the environment, but also financially. Deuteronomy 28, and starting in verse 43. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the eternal your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever. So how is Congress going to solve the problem of our growing indebtedness? You know the Republicans have threatened to shut down the government by making sure that we would not fund the budget. Well, how does Congress solve the problem of our growing indebtedness? In an article titled, Avoiding Rancor, Congress passes a fiscal package $1.8 trillion measure, end of quote. This is the New York Times, uh, page 1, December 19th. Quote, the agreement also showed just how easily a fractious legislature can seem functional again, seem functional again, no bad phrase, when there is agreement to spend more money, adding at least $2 trillion in debt over the next 20 years according to the Committee for Responsible Budget, a nonpartisan group, end of quote. So we are deceiving ourselves. The Republicans and Democrats are happy. Why? Because they just spent $2 trillion more. We are happy. You know, where does that money come from? Supposedly, theoretically, from our descendants down the road, because we have such a good GDP, and their our grandchildren, and actually, when it gets down, it would have to be the great 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 grandchildren to pay for those eighteen. On the surface, it's only eighteen trillion dollars. But you see how our people are deceiving themselves. 
They're happy because they just spent more money. Let's turn to Haggai, the first chapter. Haggai, the first chapter. So how are we doing with our finances, brethren? Haggai is just before Zechariah. You might have a little difficult finding it. Um, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Just before the book of Zechariah. It's uh, on page 1,277. My Bible will help you find it. Uh, the book of Haggai. It's uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Then the word of the eternal came by Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for yourselves to dwell in your panel houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the eternal host, consider your ways. You have so much and bring in middle. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earn wages to put into a bag with holes. So... Is that what happening, going to be happening to the United States of America? And of course, we have to be careful ourselves, brethren. I think one of the principles, well, obviously one of the principles is here that God is saying to his people, you need to be focused on God's work. And because they weren't, they were paying financial penalties. They were losing their wealth, and whatever they earned went into holes in a bag. Daya Barnes, the newspaper, December 21st, 2015, titled Dire Outlook, quote, Global Recession Looming for 2016. Bit by bit, writes David Levy, the global economy is falling into recession, with the U.S. bringing up the rear. The Fed announced last week that it is raising the federal funds rate by 25 basis points, or 0.25%. So it made at least one rate increase. Meanwhile, the global economy continues to deteriorate and the U.S. expansion is showing broad signs of deceleration. We expect that the Fed will reverse course later next year. In all probability, the slowly spreading global recession will intensify and ultimately engulf the entire planet. It's at least two to one that we'll be in a recession at the end of 2016. That's from Barron's newspaper, December 21st, 2015, page 31. Now, there are other reports saying, oh, no, we're not facing a global recession. The United States is doing fairly well. Um, however, what did Mr. Armstrong write in the Plain Truth magazine, May 1983? Prepare to reduce your standard of living. Quote, Economic ills are starting greatly to reduce our standard of living. I warn you, prepare greatly to reduce your standard of living. Even greater punishments are to follow. So how are we to face the challenges of a failing and flawed economy? Let's turn to Proverbs, the 13th chapter. Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13 and verse 11. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. Well, we're fast becoming a socialistic nation which doesn't earn by labor, but God says 
he who gathers by labor will increase. The NRSV says, wealth hastily gotten will dwindle, but those who gather little by little will increase it. I think back to what my mother said when I was a boy. Richard, if you just save 10% of all you earn in your life, I didn't do that. If I had done that, I would be way, way ahead of where I am right now. Goes little by little. The NET, New English Translation. Wealth gained quickly will dwindle away, but the one who gathers it little by little will become rich. So again, God wants us to be faithful stewards of our blessings, of our income, and to be thankful for whatever blessings he gives us. And of course, you know Matthew, uh, Malachi 3, verse 8, that uh, God says, You have robbed me this whole nation. How? In tithes and offerings. I know we've had some brethren say, Well, I... You know, the expenses of my business equal the amount of my income, therefore I have nothing to tithe about. Well, you have to judge yourself, God says, whether you should, should have been paying yourself some wages upon which you should tithe. But that aside, God says you robbed me in offerings. So even if you don't have anything to tithe because you've had no increase in a year, God expects you to give an offering. Even the widow who had two mites, Jesus complimented. She gave more than the others because she gave of her very living. So we need to make sure we are faithful stewards over the income that God gives us. The United States at one time was the world's most prosperous creditor nation. But it has become the world's greatest debtor nation since 1985, more than 30 years ago. Then the nation continues to add to its trillions of dollars in debt. And unless it turns to God, God is going to judge this nation because of its depravity, its sinfulness, its oppression, its greed, its lust, its idolatry, and its evil. And he said in Deuteronomy 28:44, the aliens shall rise above you. So we briefly mentioned four prophetic trends. Record weather upsets, terrorism, social depravity, and economic deterioration. There are many other trends that we should be watching. A telecast by Mr. Wally Smith, seven prophetic trends. And you can, of course, get that on our website. Prophetic trends for 2015. It's both a telecast and a Tomorrow's World article. There are other prophetic trends, and I'll just mention this. It was from our Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, January, February 2009. And those five prophetic trends for the Middle East are still valid to this day. One, military alliances east of the Euphrates River. Because remember, one of the last of the... Uh, seven last plagues that the kings of the east come across the Euphrates River. Sign number two, greater unity among Israel's traditional enemies. Number three, international attempts to control Jerusalem historically and religiously. Sign number four, animal sacrifices restored by Jews in Jerusalem. Remember, they did have a sample Passover sacrifice 
last April in Israel. Some were offended by it, but it's just again a demonstration that the Jews certainly want to restore animal sacrifices. And sign number five, the European superpower controlling Jerusalem. So God wants us to discern the signs of the times. One of the taglines of Mr. Armstrong's program, as I recall, The World Tomorrow, the radio program was, we need to watch world news in the light of Bible prophecy. So that's good for all of us to remember that we should be watching world news in the light of Bible prophecy. But we also need to watch unto prayer. First Peter, the fourth chapter, first Peter four. Yes, we need to watch and pray always. First Peter, the fourth chapter. And verse 7. I just remembered this in the uh, King James Version, so when I tried to search it in the New King James Version, I couldn't find it. But 1 Peter 4, verse 7. New King James. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. The King James Version had it. Be sober and watch unto prayer. <clears throat> so we need to be watching unto prayer. We saw Jesus telling Peter, James, and John, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Let's take a look at Luke, the 12th chapter. I'm looking at my watch here to make sure we have squeeze in a little time here. Luke, the 12th chapter. And uh, I'll encourage you to read through this whole lesson of the faithful servant and the evil servant. Starting with verse 35. Uh, it doesn't have this heading in my printed Bible, but it did on the, uh, uh, the internet Bible. Luke 12, verse 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Well, that's quite an instruction. In other words, you need to be ready to run. And if it's in the dark, you need to have light. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. May open to him immediately. Now we go back to the parable of the foolish virgins and the wise virgins. Are you going to open immediately? Blessed are those servants, verse 37, whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch, and find them so blessed for those servants. Now, you uh, you don't have to stay up at night. And some of us are up two or three times a night uh, because of health reasons. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, those of us who've been in the military, we stood at the second watch and the third watch and the first watch. And uh, you know, you are watchful. You're on guard. You're looking at any intrusions that may come across. Anything that might be a little strange going on in the uh, compound or the environment. 
But know this, if the master of the house, verse 39, had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Verse 40, and I want to underline this, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And of course that means for any one of us, if we would have a heart attack and die. Now Christ didn't literally come, but in a sense we will meet him at the judgment seat. So we have to be ready and spiritually awake and alert at all times. We need to watch under prayer. We need to be ready for Christ's return. So what must we do? We must produce fruit. It tells us in John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. We must persevere. It tells us in Revelation 3.10, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world. And we must continue to develop and grow. It tells us in 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For God has given us a vital mission to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God as a witness to all the nations. It's a calling, it's a privilege, and it's a responsibility. And we are one year closer to the kingdom of God. And I hope as you've been challenged by the article, are you ready for Christ's return? That you are ready, that you have that confidence, that if you were to die today, you have confidence and faith that you'll be in the kingdom of God. Let's turn to one last scripture, Romans the 13th chapter. Romans 13 Realize that when Jesus said, pray, watch and pray always, we have to be spiritually awake and spiritually alert. Romans 13 and verse 11. And do this, knowing the time. How do we know the time? The Pharisees and Sadducees did not discern the signs of the times, but we, brethren, must discern the signs of the times. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. God's truth is light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and dark and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. We need to keep our lamps burning. The bridegroom is coming. And when he comes, we need to have oil in our lamps and be ready to respond. So, brethren, we're one week, one year closer to the kingdom of God. Let's stay spiritually awake. Let's watch and pray always.